Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone. And I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four-day women's immersion, The Inner Critic Cure. This live four-day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant supportive community of like-minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires. So you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside the Inner Critic Cure at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. Welcome to Herself, a space for women to have deep conversations about the intersection between spiritual entrepreneurship and fulfilling your potential, so you can become the woman you truly are in every area of your life. After being in business for over two decades, I've learned, as you likely have too, that as you grow your business, your business grows you in unexpected, often challenging, yet miraculous ways. Here, we'll talk about how to get out of your own way so you can grow a business that's abundant and sustainable while allowing you to be a force for good in the world. I'll give you simple, actionable strategies, as well as wisdom and inspiration to help you root into your wholeness, lead from your values, and work in ways that feel deeply aligned so you can bring your true self into the world through your business and in every area of your life. Hi there. Welcome back. We're taking a break from my solo episodes today to welcome a guest that I'm looking forward to introducing to you. When Alexandra and I were scheduling this interview, which we did back in the fall, it was right before her maternity leave and the birth of her daughter, we realized that our new books are sisters. So her book, Dare to Feel, came out last month, and my new book, Handbook for the Heartbroken, comes out in May. Both are published by Sounds True, and both guide women on our personal journeys through healing our hearts and facing everything within and around us that that entails. And if you're not part of my email community, I wanted to be sure that you know that pre-orders for my new book, including some gifts to help support you with your journey worth up to $500, have just opened. And you can explore all of that over at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. 
That's handbookfortheheartbroken.com. And there's a link to that in the show notes. I'm really looking forward to sharing this new creation with you and starting this conversation with you. So to lead us into that, today, Alexandra and I are talking about what the process has been like for her of bringing both a book and a baby into the world at the same time. For her and for her as a woman and as an entrepreneur, how she structured things in her business to be able to take time off to be with her daughter after she was born. I always love talking to people about how they do that, things like that for themselves, taking extended, extended time off. Ways that she overcame her own spiritual bypassing and healed the split between her psyche and her soul, and pathways for all of us to do that too. Alexandra Roxo is an artist, a best selling author, and a transformational coach. Her first book, Fuck Like a Goddess Heal Yourself, Reclaim Your Voice, Stand in Your Power, has sold thousands of copies and been seen in the hands of women from all over the world. She has been featured as a guest speaker on many renowned podcasts and at numerous festivals and events worldwide. She has made multiple TV appearances, including on two seasons of Netflix's hit show, Too Hot to Handle. And her work has been featured in the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, The Guardian, Nylon, and Playboy. Enjoy today's conversation with Alexandra. Welcome, Alexandra. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We always start our conversations here with a personal check-in. So I welcome you to share with us where you're joining us from today and how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Right. So I am joining from Florida, where I have um, recently moved to um, hunker down for the winter uh, and stay warm. And let's see, my body, my body feels pretty uh, good and open today and started the morning with some movement and um, some crazy weird exercises I'm doing right now to try to get my baby to put her head down. And um, because I am 36 weeks pregnant as we record this right now. Um, so my morning practice is, is already getting hijacked by uh, a new agenda. Um, and my heart feels very full today and alive. Um, and my mind feels clear. I'm, I'm, like I said, at this point, a lot of my energy is, is geared towards attempting. It's like what I told my friends today, um, I was talking to some friends and I was like, it's like, you're getting ready to go on a trip for like three to six months. And you want to like do all the prep work so that you can just be on the trip. The the trip may be like a psychedelic trip the last six months. It may be like a trip to, you know, the jungle in South America where you're going to be offline. Um, And so a lot of my mental energy right now is geared towards how do I best prepare for, um, an, an, a huge unknown, uh, trip. <laughs> so, so speaking of that, you know, by the time this interview comes out, you will have bought, brought both a book and a baby into the world. Weird and, and weird timing. <laughs> yes. That's a lot. So how, how is that for you? How has that been for you to 
be holding both of these things simultaneously, both as a woman and as a business owner, because those are two big things yeah. to be working with at the professional level as well. Yeah. Well, first off, I tried to get my publisher to push my book. I was like, hey, okay, can we just, can I just have a few more months so that I don't have to sort of double do uh, this moment in my life? And, you know, the publishers got timelines and schedules and um, things are really organized in advance. So it's not casual, like where you're just able to, to swap things around as much as they would love to do that for me. They're like, well, we, you know, you have this particular time slot. So I'm like, okay, got it. Um, I have to surrender and accept that like two big moments are happening, not quite on top of each other, thankfully, but within the same like three month window. Um, and it's kind of fun because as an artist and a creator and someone who has had that be essential to my path of essential to my spiritual path and just my path as a woman for the last 20 years, I am somewhat accustomed to having big things happening at once. I've had a lot of like tragic feeling things happening while I'm like in the midst of a film coming out or, um, you know, even COVID, which was not a personal uh, tragic experience. Um, but my first book came out during COVID and so I had to cancel, you know, everything. And, and it was an, you know, an emotional moment. And I remember going through like a crazy breakup that was so painful while the next day I had a film at the Tribeca Film Festival and I was so happy and, and my mom getting very severely ill and being institutionalized while I was also having a huge career highlight. So I've experienced on the flip side, like what it's like to have major life events happen that are very difficult and painful while in my career, I'm having something beautiful and expansive happen, which I do feel is very much this kind of tantric alchemical uh, path of, of my spiritual life of like, how can I hold deep suffering while holding deep expansion simultaneously? Um, which I've learned how to be much more skillful out over the years. However, this particular life event, I hope goddess willing is a beautiful, expansive event of life. Um, while simultaneously having a career moment happen. And so that I'm excited about the difference. It's like, oh, could this be a moment of um, not having to hold the dark, dark, and then also the expansion? Could this be a moment of joy and celebration that transcends these two realms of living? And so that's the, that's the intent that I'm going to hold for this time. Will it be as organized and, you know, sort of put together? Probably not. <laughs> as much as I'm working with my team to get everything done in advance as much as possible, being super organized about, you know, just really planning. I also just, I also know that I can't forecast everything and that there may be moments where I have to, um, edit through an email or look at content and that my mind may be in a completely different state in a few months. So the sharpness and clarity that I hold now may not exist in a few months, at least for a while. 
<laughs> so I'm like, can we just edit every, as much as possible now? Social posts, podcast posts. And then I also said to my assistant the other day, I said, you know what? We're just going to also have to surrender and let go and do the best we can. And that's what's I, I imagine will happen. Yeah. You mentioned that it's like you're preparing for this multi-month journey and like you're working with your, with your assistant to get things ready. Are there other like specific things that you're doing to prepare not only to step away and be with your new baby, but also just to keep things running while you're gone or like, how are you, how are you framing taking that more extended time off and then reemerging into a book launch? Yeah. Well, the way that my business works right now is that I see clients one-on-one in the containers of coaching and mentorship. And then I have a membership community that I've been running for, I guess, seven or eight years. Um, And then I also do like smaller group programs sometimes, you know, Um, my, one of my small group programs is completing in two weeks. So that'll be like a nice completion. And my membership community will keep on and I have some beautiful, amazing women coming in to guest teach for um, the two sessions that I will likely miss. Um, and that'll be something that I'll want to keep coming in for, uh, I hope, and I'm I'm setting that tone and intent for myself um, since it's only like these two hour time slots twice a month. Um, I'm like, if my man can't, uh, handle those four hours over the course of a month without me, then we have a problem. So (laughs) let's, let's get this training set like now, you know, so that it's like, yeah, you can figure this out for a few hours. Cause I love teaching in my membership. I lead a practice and a method that I've been working with for, for years. And it's just so fun for me that I think it will be really grounding to step in. Um, but I am pausing one-on-one clients for the next three months. So I haven't done that in years and, you know, it requires some trust to kind of close aspects of yourself and just to then know, okay, in a few months I'll open the doors again. I'll open my books up again for people to schedule and just trust that the right people will be there. And that actually they probably will be even more my right people because I will be operating at a different frequency. And so hopefully the people that need that frequency, not to sound too woo woo about it, but the people that need that medicine, another slightly woo woo way to say it, but hopefully those people will show up at that time. And it's kind of, it's almost like a a restart to the energetics of the business, um, which feels scary and also feels exciting. Yeah. Cause when we grow and change our businesses inherently do too. Yeah. And like you said, the, the people that we like the resonance with the people that we work with shifts. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. So I wanted, I want to dive into your new book and I know when you and I first exchanged our emails and I shared with you the title of my forthcoming book, Handbook for the Heartbroken, you said that our books could be sisters. And Mm -hmm. after reading your book, which is called Dare to Feel, I, I really agree. They really touch Mm -hmm. on some, some similar themes that are countercultural 
Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what, what led you to write this book? Cause writing a book is a big undertaking. You know, it takes a, a lot of time, years. Yeah. And so what, what was it about this topic that made you feel like, yeah, this is what I want to, this is what I really want to dive in on right now. Mm. For me, my first book entitled fuck like a goddess, heal yourself, reclaim your voice, stand in your power. That felt like a bit of a crucible, a guidebook, uh, a tool for um, being a woman who wants to look at what I call some of the core feminine wounds, not on the physical body, but more on the spiritual and the emotional and the mental. Um, And so that book felt like, okay, here is my journey and the practices and the ideas that helped me to heal my relationship to my sexuality, to my spirituality, and to my physical body. That felt like a preparation for coming into secure, healthy, and sacred partnership. Um, And that it felt like it was necessary and that Every woman has to go through her own journey, whether it's after she's married or before or not married or whatever. But before entering into a deep relational field with another um, or during, right? But at some point, there's a point on the journey where we have to really examine um, what deep beliefs and what uh, imprints uh, or distortions are still really playing out in our lives. And in the areas of sexuality, spirituality, and the female body, I just felt like those were some like core places for me in my personal story that I had to do some of that work, the uncovering of truth and the healing. Um, so after, after birthing that book into the world, which was really fun. And, you know, despite it coming out during COVID, um, I was, I I decided that I wanted to write in a way that felt um, in my mind a bit more uh, non-linear and a bit more feminine. And I say that word feminine in a very archetypal way and not about genitalia at all. Um, I was looking at all these spiritual books and I'm like, they're telling you how to do something. And it's like teachings and teachings and teachings which I come from an artistic background. I I come from film and TV and theater and creating experimental films and storytelling from a very young age about my spiritual path, about goddesses, about archetypes. And when I transitioned from working uh, in film and TV to working in the spiritual space, coaching space, wellness space, I didn't want to leave behind the richness of using symbol and story and archetype and myth to uh, support people in an awakening, right? Just like you watch a movie and you have an experience through a character and you could read in two pages the story of that movie and the moral of the story and quote unquote, learn it from a line that says like, moral of the story is don't be mean to people, (laughs) But that's not a felt experience. When you read that line on the page, don't be mean to people, you're not feeling a transmission of what it feels like to be the person who's mean and who's been hurt by a mean person, as you would if you watched a film. So when I was thinking about my second book, I was like, oh, I really want to get out of this like linear teaching space where it's all about like ABC gets you here. I was like, the feminine way has never been that. 
it's experiential, it's alchemical, it's messy, it's energetic, it's story, it's image, it's felt experience. Um, and of course, it's not over intellectualized or over analyzed or over rationalized. There's a lot of space for the numinous. There's a lot of space for the phonic, the underworld, the dark and the murky. So I was like, I want to write from that place. Or not. I read a quote this morning in, in a book that was like Carl Carl Jung said that like India is a place where people are still living from their full body. And the West, like we just lost that so long ago. And we live so deeply from we live so much from our heads that it's like even when we consider living from our bodies, we look at it very um, intellectually like, oh, my body, I have to eat a certain number of vitamins every day and I have to, you know, walk in a certain way. It's not that my body is this instinctual antenna or animal that relates um, outside of the thinking. It's like, I don't even know if we can comprehend it. Like I can comprehend it sort of intellectually and also because I've been to India. Um, but I do have a, some sort of a remnant in my bones of like what it's like to live outside of a super rational, intellectual, uh, linear thinking society. Like something inside me is like, I know. I know there's like another way, the way of the heart, the way of deep, passionate emotion, feeling, and art has been my pathway into that of remembering. I can remember, Ooh, there is another way of understanding reality besides the intellect or the rational mind. And for me, that transmission is like listening to an amazing piece of music, right. Or seeing an amazing uh, painting or something like that. So for me, the art has been a portal. Um, but I wanted to, so I wanted to write as much as possible in a way that I could be an artist and write this book about the heart, about heartbreak, about opening your heart again and again, even when you don't want to about like the pain that people go through and how patterns of addiction and trauma and all of this are like so related to our ability to be loved or not be loved, or if we've been you know, robbed of love, et cetera. Um, and so I put together a bunch of stories from my own life because that's the only one I got to share. <laughs> um, though there are other people's stories in my story. Um, and uh, stories about the heart, stories about pain, stories about grief, stories about loss, stories about love. And, and then also there are poems and rituals and there are some teachings in each story. But they're less teaching heavy, you know, and that was scary because it's like nowadays, um, it's like so many, so many businesses, so many public personas rely on. This is my teaching. This is what I have to say. Not this is my embodied transmission. This is what I say without words. This is what I say in felt experience. Right. So, you know, it's, it, we'll see how it all lands and how it, you know, if, and how it lands for people. But for me, it felt really, it felt like a beautiful risk as a, as an artist and a creative, I always want to be taking risks with my work and not just going the safe route and taking risks means, you know, you might fail like, and that's a part of it. And I've created stuff that's done terribly. And I've created stuff that's really resonated with people and I won't probably stop because <laughs> it's just a part of my soul's thing. Um, but um, 
But yeah, so I'm excited for this book to come out and for people to feel it in their hearts while they're reading and not just think it and hear it and know it in their head. Yeah, it's helpful as having read it, it's helpful to hear hear you speak of the kind of the intention and the energy behind it. And I think that's it's a really beautiful contribution again to to a world that and also the self-help book market, you know, which I'm a part of as well, which can be very how-to oriented. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you share in there, which is so true, especially for us as women is how starting from when we're very young, we're taught to ignore our, our bodies to not go to the bathroom when we have to go to the bathroom or to not drink a glass of water when we're thirsty or to not sleep when we're tired. And when we get older and we're adult women in our thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, like that has much bigger repercussions that that ignoring of the -hmm. messages that we're getting inside. And in one chapter, you talk about how this played out for you in a particular intimate connection and how you weren't explicitly saying no to this man, but in inside of you, you were overriding a lot of, a lot of these messages within yourself. And it just led to a very, kind of conflicted state. And I've definitely had that experience in the past. I think it's really common for us as women to have that experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you can share more about, more about this kind of phenomenon of being conditioned to ignore our bodies and then how that can impact us when we're older. Yeah. Well, I think on the intuitive level, on the instinctual level, and on the purely physical level, we're getting messages from ourself, right? So the instinctual level would be like, you know, I'm walking down the street and I have like a little spidey sense in my body. That's like, um, can hear a car from way over there and is like, don't go that way. Or that car's driving too fast, like step aside. Right. So the instinctual is like these non-rational, often ways that we have instincts, right? Like the same instinct, like if, if, um, someone was about to drop something that you just at the moment that they're starting to drop it, you might come in and grab it. Right. And if you were to go, if you were to even pause and go, no, no, they're not going to drop that. And like, you just, then they drop it and you didn't catch it. Right. So there's, there are these instinctual things that are, again, they're not thought out They're And then in the intuitive, it's like, that's a little bit more of a spiritual inner language that you're in conversation with, which is completely not taught to us as children. And if we are indoctrinated, indoctrinated into any religious space, it's actually the opposite is taught. It's like, don't listen to those inner voices, communicate through the church, through the preacher, through the, you know, the rabbi, and that's your um, communicator to God. So this kind of inherent intuitive conversation that you might have, that is an inner knowing of sitting in your life and going, ah, oh, I really, I want to write that book, right? Or I want to do that thing. And then on the, on just the physical body, it's like, like you said, and the, I, I mentioned that, you know, when you can't, as a child, it's like, you can't get up to go pee. They won't let you go to pee because you're in, you're in school and you only have a hall pass every so often. And it's like, so you're literally conditioning your physical body to not listen to signs of distress. 
And, you know, on a deeper level that can happen through trauma and that a child that's been neglected, that no one else is listening to their signs of stress. And so they begin to learn to not listen to their own signs of stress and give up on even giving a sign of distress at all. Um, and so, you know, on a whole, we're, we have these ways that society is asking us to abandon ourselves often for function, right? Which makes sense. You don't want a bunch of kids all running to the bathroom every five minutes at the same time. And they also, maybe half of them actually want to get out of class, right? So there's, there's, it's not for bad reason. Things could be chaotic, right? But it's, but the, the pendulum has swung very far when it came to a lot of this, right? So, um, part of getting into deeper connection with yourself, with what the divine feels like within you, with what your inner knowing is, with what your uh, physical embodiment uh, is like, how it speaks to you, is a lot of retraining. It's a lot of retraining. So especially for many of us as women, it's like we can do all this work to retrain ourselves, to listen deeply to our intuition or to our instinctual knowing. And yet... In many moments, we may abandon that. Now, in the story that you're talking about in the book, I abandoned it for my craving for love. So my my instinctual knowing was up a bat against my core wound. And this is where we can talk about, and I know you do parts work. We can talk about, you know, different parts within. We can talk about different core wounds within. We can talk about different unconscious patterns. And so if you don't have a handle on that part of it, then it's like, well, the core wound is, is ready to abandon all intuition, all instinctual knowing, all physical responses, because it's it, there's a part that's looking for love. And it's so big and so strong that it's willing to literally cut off its own arm, metaphorically, not literally, metaphorically cut off its own arm in order to get that love, right? Because it's the one mission it has is to get love. And if that's a younger child part that is just so craving love and then it comes up, let's say in relationship, then it's hard to track from your whole self, from your essential self, it's hard to track, oh, wow, there's all these red flags or there are all these signs that say, I should definitely not go out with this person or go home with this person because this part of me or this wound, however you want to frame it, is now running the show. <laughs> and it's dangerous. And, and, you know, and if you haven't done any self-exploration, any therapy, any self-healing or reflection, then it can like how would you even know to 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 consider that as a possible uh, reality, right? Like that. Oh, the reason that I abandoned my instinctual knowing in the face of money is because of this deep imprint inside of me that's just wants to be like feels like money is God or whatever, right? Like so. I think people that do some self-work eventually start to see these things. We can call them blind spots or we can call them you know, unconscious tendencies or whatever. You start to notice, oh, I, I just, my wits fly out the window in the face of whatever, right? 
it's important for us to all know that about ourselves. Like we all have these areas. No one is immune. Even, I mean, unless you're, you're one of the enlightened ones, God, God has blessed you. But otherwise you have blind spots. You have spots. Well, I'd where say you even the enlightened yourself. ones do. <laughs> sometimes, well, yeah. even, sometimes even more so. Totally. But, That's very true. That's and crazy. I would say that even, even those of us who have done a lot of, of inner work and personal development, that these things are pernicious and they can still be running the show despite years of spiritual practice, despite years of therapy and introspection. And they, they're rooted very deep in us and it can take, it can take some time to really get to the bottom of it. But I think when enough years pass enough decades pass and you see these patterns repeating, then you realize, you know, that saying it's like, well, I'm, I'm the common denominator in all these situations. So this yeah. is, this is something about me. Yeah. And I often say, I don't know personally, cause I'm not old enough to know yet. Ask me when I'm like a crone, but I don't know if these patterns fully go away. I think the way we relate to them changes and changes and evolves. Will they go away a hundred percent if they were really ingrained into us as children or if they were or if they're karmically imprinted into us will they go away in one lifetime i don't know you can look at it therapeutically you can look at it like spiritually whatever instead of trying to make them go away can we change the way we relate to them can we increase our awareness around them can we give space around them um And that's my own personal practice. It's not trying to get rid of. And when I work with clients and students, we're not trying to fix. We're not trying. When we heal, we're essentially healing a a split between A and B, but it doesn't mean we're making something go away. Like it can be just as healing to come into awareness that a pattern exists. Does it mean that you're going to be like all clean sweeped and the pattern is gone? No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Can some well, it's, patterns now chemical process rather than an excision process? You yeah. Know, it's, yeah. It's like the wound holds, you know, to bring back the word that you shared initially, the wound holds the medicine. Yeah. And if we excise parts of ourselves, we can't possibly be whole. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about feelings because that, that is a central part of the book and yeah. the dominant cultural cultural perspective on feelings is one thing and kind of the central message that you have about feelings in this book is another thing, which I am fully on board with. So can, can you just flesh out those two, those two kind of definitions or perspectives? Yeah. It kind of like harkens back to what I said about um, being in a very thinking based culture as Westerners and being a indoctrinated into the Western mind um, and and growing up in a culture that is more thinking based and the language of feeling being the language of connection, the language of love, the language of the heart um, and how there is a lot of space in finding and reclaiming that feeling self and that feeling language inside of us there is a lot of space and healing that can happen um, that can't happen intellectually. It just can't. Uh, we can't intellectually empathize with uh, people that are suffering or the misdeeds of our ancestors. 
it, and it's interesting because I think we were taught to intel- intellectually relate to those things, which is safer. I mean, it's very painful to relate to, let's say, how our you know ancestors were colonizers and. I mean, that's a very painful thing to relate to from a felt sense. Intellectually, there's a level of protection where we can go, yeah, I get it that like my ancestors and your ancestors were potentially slave owners or um, were a part of a society that treated certain people like animals, like intellectually. Um, and from the thinking mind, it's it's like you can say, oh, that's terrible, but it's not until we actually feel uh, from our hearts where compassion and empathy lives. Uh, don't think compassion and empathy live in the head. Then that's where I do believe we can make greater change on the planet. If I could go into you know the top corporate offices and turn on the hearts and the compassion centers and the empathy centers of all the CEOs across the world, like I would, that would be amazing. Because the problem is, is that you can't if you're holding, um, if you're holding the intent for, let's say, to make the most money and be the most successful company, you can't simultaneously be the most compassionate and empathetic. It just doesn't work. It's like, you know, it's 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 two different full two different energetics, right? So our world has been in the Western world operating on productivity, money, success, capitalism, right? That's the, those are the main priorities. Um, If you look at our government and, and let's say the, where the resources are allocated, excuse me, they're not towards like making sure that all children can can read or making sure that all people are fed or making sure that all people have health care right they're they're towards these these standards of what is productive and numbers and statistics and war so much money put towards war which is essentially the protection of our wealth right yeah protecting the people but really protecting the wealth of a country so to me, when I look at it, like on a global systemic level, I'm like, well, if it starts with us, then we're still needing to turn on our compassion center, our hearts, our empathy. Um, some of us have them turned on too big. And that, I talk about that in the book too. You know, there are sensitive souls, likely some of the people listening to this podcast who it's like, I already feel it all. I don't need to feel more. And in that case, it's like, it's not about it being black or white. It's being in a healthy relationship with your, with emotion, with feeling, with the suffering, with the empathy, with the grief. It's not saying, Hey, go feel everybody's grief. Go feel the grief of the world all the time. That's not going to work, but it's a skill that we weren't trained in. How do we titrate? How do we stretch? How do we be in that yogic work of feeling the heart open and close healthily, right? Feeling our grief, feeling our joy, feeling heartbreak, feeling ecstasy, so that we don't do what we've been really taught to do is only try to feel good things. (laughs) And then anything that feels scary, we freeze around, we run from, we uh, hide from, and there are 
ways to do that all around. You know, there's liquor stores on every corner. There's liquor and, and alcohol in every gas station. There's cigarettes in every gas station. There's video games on many corners. There's amusement parks. Like there's a, our, our whole culture has a thousand ways that you can stop feeling what you're actually feeling and feel something else. And you talk about how feelings are the communication from our souls and the communication from the divine. So that if we are just going towards one set of feelings and not the other set of feelings or the good feeling ones, not, not the bad feeling ones, then we're missing out on those like really essential messages. Yeah. And also coming back to that, that alchemical process, like the alchemical process that's available in a really profound way in those harder to feel states yeah that where there's so much of it yeah there's so much possible when we open to those but we're denying ourselves of that by just running from them yeah absolutely absolutely I think that the feeling the deep grief is something that transforms you it's like if you think about beautiful rocks that have been tumbled by ocean waves or you that you find on the beach and they're like round and beautiful. And that is because they've been washed and washed and washed and by these big waves. Um, and that makes them smooth and it changes them. And a big emotion is like that too. It's like, so it's also kind of like birth. It's like, if you, if you tense around it, you're like blocking it and you're like, you're resisting something instead. If you, if you soften and open to that wave of grief or that wave of sensation and you surrender to it while also having enough skill to not collapse, which is another possibility, um, then it will change you. It will mold you. It will make you someone new. And so if we live in a culture and in a world where we're always trying to resist that change or that washing or that melting, then how do we progress? How do we evolve, right? It's like we're bracing against pain, right? We're like searching for the next Advil instead of being in a culture that um, has a bit more grit, that's able to withstand and like open in the face of intensity. Uh, That's just not something that I think, you know, I write from a very American perspective, even though I'm half Brazilian, but I write from growing up in the States and it's like, that's not uh, the ability to withstand and to to be moved by something uh, that's difficult is not something that we're taught, you know, it's no. like the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's, we get stuck. And that, that was one, that's one of the, the big messages in my book is to women is you're going to get stuck on your heartbreak journey. If, if you don't open to and allow these these big feelings. Yeah. And we get as women, we just, we get stunted in our own maturation and, you know, as souls and as actual human women. And it's like, we, that's ultimately, I would guess, not what most of us want, you know? Right. Right. We don't want to stay like teen sweet girls who, you know, have put ourselves in little glass castles and um, a little bubble. And, and we've all met women, you know, women who are 80, who are still right. feel very much like a little girl right. in, in a 
not a childlike way, but a childish way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so much great depth psychology around that. I think, you know, um, one of the books that I was just looking at again this morning, um, is by Marion Woodman. It's called the pregnant virgin. And she also has another one called, um, addiction to perfection. And those are, you know, both speak to this archetype of woman that, um, sort of doesn't, I'm, I'm, I'm really condensing, I'm really flattening the, 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 the sort of concept, but that, um, doesn't allow herself to be penetrated by the good, the bad, the ugly, even the masculine of life and stays in this kind of virginal pristine space. And that that addiction to perfection or, or whatever is, yeah, it's a stunted aspect of woman, right. Of, of where the journey of us, like falling down, like becoming old, becoming wrinkly, like, like soft and messy and bleeding and all of this and getting our hearts broken and all of that is the soul making. It's what really um, brings us into the the next iteration of ourselves. And so, yeah, I'm all for that. <laughs> I know you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, just some, how some of your daily practices are changing and, you know, in just the final weeks of your pregnancy. And as you're on the cusp of this new season in your woman, in womanhood and in your life, um, what are some of the daily practices that are sustaining you the most right now? Yeah. Great question. So as a writer, I, I opening my, my writing channel is a way that I really communicate with my soul. It's really, it's really uncanny. And I've been doing it for 20 years. I started doing Julia Cameron's uh, artist pages 20 years ago. I don't do it, it, dogmatic artist pages now, um, morning pages, but I do uh, daily writing and I do a lot of just channeled writing. And I do that in some of the groups of women that I lead to just teaching them how to drop into a space beyond their sort of thinking mind and kind of get outside of the linear and and it's so beautiful. So I try to do that every morning. Some mornings my channel's like, no, we're good. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, I don't try to force myself so much, but I also will in the mornings that I don't necessarily feel like my channel wants to write, I will I will read, I'll study. And then I also move into some of my own embodied practice that I work with other women on where I use breath, sound, and movement with music to really focus on opening the heart and then melting into the sensual body. So right now I've been doing like two songs every day, which has felt really good. Some days I need like really dark and like uh, that underworld kind of feeling. And some days I need something a little softer and gentler. And I just listen to my own intuitive knowing about what I need. Um, there are times where I do like a sadhana, like a tantric practice over a certain amount of time where I'm, which is more of a meditative practice where I'm doing a visualization or a mantra. Right now I'm not doing that, but I was doing some of that the last three months um, to with different uh, deities and um, and that's beautiful. And that's more, and that's more of a, a spiritual training to sit in deep meditation and visualization and mantra um, 
And um, there are times where I feel more called to that type of spiritual practice where I am seated, seated in meditation and I'm working with a particular um, practice, right? Like a particular practice, like I've studied tantric Buddhism and that I could work with a practice around, again, a particular mantra, particular deity or a particular um, concept like uh, Tonglen or loving kindness or Meta or something. Um, and then there's times where I personally step away from that and it feels too structured for me to be in that kind of a space. But then again, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, more uh, that I'm special or something like this, but because I've been meditating and practicing for 20 years, I feel like I know myself and I have a little space to surrender structure, but I didn't at first, like for my first decade, I just, I, I meditated, you know, and I practiced yoga and I was like, I can't throw away the structure because I'm not there. <laughs> um, I probably still shouldn't, you know, I should still be like, I have a daily meditative practice that I'm very committed to, but um, there's just times where it needs to be more an expression. It needs to be more emotional expression and writing and creative expression. Um, and it feels too hard to, to, or too inauthentic to be in the stillness, but I really honor both sides of that spectrum of having a stillness practice or an emptiness practice, a place where you can find stillness and having an, a more um, expression-based practice, heart-based practice, body-based practice, and that both are necessary on the path at different moments. And that if someone is afraid of one, they should definitely do it, <laughs> you know, or one feels uncomfortable. Um, and for me, that would be probably like, yeah, committing to to meditating again for 30 minutes a day, which I did for years and years and years. But right now, sensual dance and emotional expression and writing feel really good to my system. Especially if I'm going to sit at the computer and sit with clients, I'm like, I need to go express myself so that I can then be in deep presence with them. And what's your current growing edge? Oh, I mean, uh, he, like being about to surrender everything to another, you know, I've been so on my own journey. I'm almost 40. I'm like only child. Um, I've been super independent for a very long time. I can travel when I want. I can do what I want. I can say what I want. <laughs> um, and that's all going to change. And that's an edge, you know, even, even thinking about it now, like, whoa, I can't just like pick up my phone when I want, I can't just, you know, um, call a friend when I want, I can't, like everything is going to be in devotion to another soul's path, right. Offering myself to steward a soul on their awakening journey. So my awakening journey <laughs> will be at the behest of theirs, you know, and at the response of their journey, as opposed to it being about me. Um, so that feels like that's going to be big. And also just being in relationship is like a part of my edge of, of constantly um, navigating the depths of being in a devotional space and opening my heart to another and really feeling all of the things that come up around that. And where can listeners learn more about you and find your book? Um, 
So my website is alexandraroxo.com. My first book is on Amazon, my fuck like a goddess and all the other book places. I shouldn't just promo Amazon. Sorry. Um, (laughs) And then my second book, dare to feel the transformational path of the heart um, is also available where books are sold. And um, I'm active on Instagram. My handle is my name. I love connecting with new people. Uh, there as well. And then I, like I said, I work with clients one-on-one and I have a membership community where I guide women in some of the embodied creative expressive areas of practice, spiritual practice, embodied practice. Um, Yeah. Well, I know this will come out after, after the baby's here and after the book is out but I'm talking to you before that's happening. So I'm just wishing you well on this journey that's ahead of you, this journey of um, thank you, transformation and love. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I wasn't sure whether it was going to happen this lifetime. I'm going to be 40 in a few months and it feels like it's actually the perfect timing for me after I've done a lot of self-exploration and, um, I'm excited to be like a 40 year old first mama and, um, and to yeah be an example for women who did take time to do what they want to do for themselves before committing to another. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. for you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. And remember change doesn't come from listening alone. I invite you to commit to taking one small or large courageous action after today's conversation. One step you can take if you haven't already is to sign up for my free mini course, Three Lies Holding Successful Women Back That Keep You Overwhelmed, Stuck, and Doubting Yourself, and How to Break Free So You Can Embody Your Potential Starting Now. You can find that over at my website, sarahavonstover.com. That's my full name, sarahavonstover.com. And if you found this podcast valuable, please share it with the women in your world. Also, I'd be very grateful if you leave a review. It helps others find resources like this. And I'd love to hear what's coming alive for you after listening today. Above all, keep going and never forget the unique offerings you and your true self bring to the world. Until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.